Howdy, friends. This is Matt Sewell, and you're listening to episode 88 of the Popecast, a history of the papacy. The only podcast about popes where you'll find non-boring stories on the successors of St. Peter and a reminder that all of the world's problems have happened plenty of times before. Today's episode is sponsored by Guadalupe Roastery, a mission-driven coffee company that just might be the best brew you've ever tasted. Check them out at GuadalupeRoastery.com. That's GuadalupeRoastery.com. And be sure to enter the word Pope, P-O-P-E, at checkout for a discount off your entire order. Well, today's episode is one I've been very excited to bring you for a long time. Our guest, Father Richard Kunst, is the curator of the largest collection of papal memorabilia and artifacts outside the Vatican anywhere in the world, which anyone can learn more about at papalartifacts.com. Our conversation covers everything from how Father Rich's collection came to be, some of the coolest and strangest articles he's seen personally, and even some never-before-heard stories about both Popes John Paul. And in addition to curating this great collection, Father Rich is a priest of the Diocese of Duluth, Minnesota, pastor of St. James Parish in Duluth, and believe it or not, he was even at one time Father Mike Schmitz's vocation director when the latter was in formation for the priesthood. So without further ado, please enjoy this interview with Father Richard Kunst. All right. Well, Father Richard Kunst, thanks for joining the podcast. It's great being here. Thanks a lot, Matt. Yeah. Um, well, a slight backstory, uh, and I'm, I, I know I preface this a little bit in the, the intro, but um, I have long father, f- followed... Father, do you, do you prefer Father Richard or Father Coons? I should ask. I go with Father Rich. Okay. Oh, Father Rich. Good. Rich is my dad's name, actually. Interesting. Oh, enough, but, easy to yeah, pronounce. Easy that. enough. Yeah. <clears throat> um, <laughs> only his sisters call him Richard, I think, yeah, and the neighbor mom. kids across the alley, which is kind yeah. of funny. Um, anyways, well, I've been following Father Rich for a very long time, um, and I've always been meaning to reach out to him because, uh, well, one, it was kind of a kindred spirit type thing when I found papalartifacts.com that, holy moly, there's somebody who loves papal history as much as I do, uh, ostensibly. So that's my first question is, you know, what's, what's your story? You have the largest collection of papal memorabilia outside of the Vatican, which is, um, no small feat, but what's, yeah. I mean, what's the, the story behind that? Um, who are you, where'd you come from and, and how'd you get into, yeah, collecting yeah. papal memorabilia? Thanks again, Matt. So, uh, yeah, Father Richard Kunst and I am the, uh, uh, a priest of the Diocese of Duluth and, um, uh, born and raised in Duluth, Minnesota. That's where I still am uh, a pastor right now. And it started off by, as a young kid, I collected, you know, coins at first, I suppose. And then when I was in high school, there was a uh, presidential election going on and all these candidates came through Duluth. And we had, in government class in my senior year, we had a, an assignment to write to some politician and uh, and see if you get a response. Of all people, I wrote to Jimmy Carter, I suppose, is because he wasn't out of office too terribly long at that point. And, and uh, I wrote to him and he wrote back. And I was shocked. And he sent back a letter. And, and so the combination of uh, that experience of having Carter write back to me and all these candidates coming through Duluth got me collecting autographs of politicians. And so I fell in love with politics and mm-hmm. all things to do with government. And, and from there, uh, I got to, you know, looking up different autographs, of, different addresses of celebrities. I'd send them mail asking for their autographs. And, and I just amassed this huge collection because of Jimmy Carter's experience. And, and, uh, and then one year I saw uh, an auction catalog that came out with a few different papal autographs available. And 
I was shocked. I had no idea. At that time, I was actually working for the United States Senate. I wasn't, I was done with the whole priestly idea in the seminary. And so uh, I was shocked that that was even available. And uh, from then on, I went forward strictly papal history and church-related popes, you know. And so then I got, I, I totally gave up on celebrity and politician autographs and went church-related. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, as a result of that auction. Mm-hmm. I got two out of the three auction uh, items. That's, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. It's also fascinating to think uh, auction catalogs, um, you know, before the, the days of, I suppose, eBay and things. But um, yeah, that's very oh, yeah. interesting. So, so how, yeah, so where did that coincide kind of with your vocation story then too? And, and did, your, did your priesthood or, or seminary life ever lead you to Rome to um, kind of delve into that a little bit more deeply? What's, what's kind of the backstory there? Well, in the, in the seminary, we had a semester in Israel, so I spent six months in Israel. And then at the end of that semester, I did a, a month in Europe through a Eurail pass. In that one month, I spent three weeks of it in Rome because I fell in love with Rome. It was my first time there. And, uh, and so I felt, totally fell in love with it, and I hardly ever used the Eurail pass. And, uh, and then I went, uh, got back home after that semester, and I was about two months away from being ordained a deacon. And I thought to myself, this celibacy thing is not for me. It took me a long time to get to that point. So I ended up getting a job, as I had mentioned, uh, as a staffer for a U.S. senator. And that's really, that was really at the time where I kind of started getting into the papal-related things. And so I had no intention to ever go back into the seminary and, uh, uh, um, and went totally into the religious and papal-related autograph seeking during that period of time of my uh, might we say a Babylonian captivity from the seminary? <laughs> I like that. So how long? How long was the uh, was the Babylonian captivity, so to speak? Um, just just two years. Just two years. Okay. And then, so what was the the progression forward like? I mean, did you collect mostly autographs for a while, or when did you start kind of delving into the more eclectic, kind of rarer types was, of items? It was all autographs. So it was all autographs at, at first, and my goal was just to get as many papal autographs as possible, and and, you know, those were rare, very rare. The Internet was in its infancy when I was working in the Senate. And so it's like there wasn't such an eBay. I don't think eBay existed. If it did, I wouldn't have known anything about it. But uh, so it's just these auction catalogs that come up every once in a while. I got a little more in tune with that. And then uh, um, uh, from there, I went back to the seminary, got ordained. And after ordination, you know, I got ordained in 1998. The Internet was really kind of coming out. And the the whole eBay thing was a big deal. eBay is like... It's, it's hardly worth it today if you're looking for mm-hmm. things. But back in the day, it's like, it's amazing what I found on eBay. I couldn't believe it. And then when eBay America started to get a little bit stale, then I went to eBay Italy, eBay France, eBay Germany. And it's like there's a whole new goldmine of things that before you know, got really international. And so it was upon very newly ordained is when the collection just went crazy. And so at first, just autographs. Within months of my being ordained a priest, my search for eBay made it all things and not just autographs, but anything connected with the popes. Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. Things that they used, you know, anything that has anything to do with the popes and the person of the popes. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say in certain circles, those are probably a dime a dozen in in Italy Um, anyways. But but I mean, not for somebody from the U.S. at least. And you probably found some pretty special stuff. So that was actually going to be my next question was um, just talk about some of the most cherished items to you and more broadly. I mean, obviously there'll be, there's lots of stuff in there that everybody would say, holy cow, yeah. you have that in your collection. But I mean, maybe both personally and universally, what are kind of some of the 
the more well, cherished you know, things I'm, you have. I'm glad you asked. Is that that you know? I mean, we're we're having a big display uh, of my collection in August of this year in Duluth, one of our big convention centers, and and the committee that uh, is doing this, that's in charge of this big display that we're having. I had them come and look at the collection. They haven't even seen all of it yet. They've seen about two thirds of it. Because I said to them, I want to know what blows you away. I don't want to know what blows the nerd away. I'm the nerd that lives in this stuff. So I don't, you know, yep. what I might think is crazy, crazy, insane, and super cool. You might think that's the most boring thing in the world. And so I wanted their perspective of what was really cool. But it turns out that we kind of agree. You know, so what I think is super cool, and I get excited about it, and I explain it to them, then they got excited. So I would say that my go-to thing is I've got the complete set of uh, conclave seals that seal the door shut, the exterior door shut from the uh, conclave, the second conclave of 1978. Wow. So I've got the complete set of seals from the John Paul II conclave. That, that's my first thing I usually mention. I've got, I've got a, one of the volumes of the Breviary of St. John Vianney. Mm. I've, got the, uh, I've got the chasuble, the mass vestment of uh, Pope John Paul II from World Youth Day Denver, which yeah. the, upon his death, uh, Catholic Digest listed World Youth Day Denver in the top 10 events of his papacy. So that mm -hmm. kind of adds a historical oomph to it. Um, <clears throat> I'd say, uh, I mean, there's, it's countless. There's countless. I've, got, I've got a relic of the True Cross. It was actually owned by Pope Clement XI, so it was in his private possession. It was his own relic. I've got, um, uh, uh, I, I could go on and on. Yeah, I've got a well, website called peopleartifacts.com that people could really go and take a look at it, of course. Yes. Yeah, to reiterate that, it's just Papal Artifacts. It's not a dash in the middle, right? It's just papalartifacts.com. So I would say, uh, by all means, continue to go on and on for at least a little bit longer because, I mean, those are all great. Those are all, yeah, fascinating stuff. I'm looking up Clement XI actually now to refresh my memory because um, oh. there was one Clement who had like the, it's not a Fu Manchu, but the mustache with Clement the, the... Clement the Ninth. Yep, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, from 1667 to 1669. All, I've got an autograph of his and maybe a few coins of his. But uh, um, uh, I would say that uh, if I... So it started with autographs and still kind of goes towards autographs. And I'm in the process right now of obtaining something called a great bull. I've already got one great bull. Now, a great bull is not to be confused with the typical bull that we think of when we think of popes and papal bulls. Papal bull, of course, is a document that's generally not signed. Only recently have the popes signed them for like appointing a bishop. But uh, I'm a, uh, so a papal bull, what we think of today is a parchment with a lead uh, seal attached to it, either by silk or by twine. And on one side of the seal, it's got the Pope's name. And then on the other side, it's got the profiles of Peter and Paul. The great bulls happened are earlier, are an earlier version of the typical bull today. So the great bulls, which were probably only used for about 400 years, I'm spitballing that here, uh, were actually signed by the Pope as well as many of the cardinals. And so they are much older. Uh, they, don't, they haven't done great bulls for a long time. But I, I own one great bull from a, a pope by the name of Alexander III, and that's dated 1177. Wow. And it's signed by him and three future popes who signed it as cardinals. So one document with four popes autographs from 1177. I'm in the process of right now acquiring another great bull that's earlier than that one from, I believe it's from the 11, from 1134. And that's signed by Pope Innocent II, as well as two future popes and one future anti-pope, all in one document. How about that? And, and to my, to my uh, uh, research, and my research is not exhaustive, but to my research at this point, 
if I acquire this, and I am acquiring it, so I've, I've already got down payments on it, that uh, it will be, as far as I know, the second earliest papal autograph out there. That's not period. in the Vatican. Period. Wow. Oh, that's not in the Vatican still. That's not in the Vatican. Man. So that type of stuff, how do you ha how do you have to handle something like that? I mean, to, to physically handle it, like silk gloves, like yeah, yeah. There's different there's different opinions on this, and so yeah, conservators will say uh, with gloves. Many will say with gloves, but others will say just use your hands because gloves can actually cause more damage. Some say than others, mm -hmm. and so <clears throat> and they're not silk gloves. They are just cloth gloves. Oh. Cloth gloves are more important I, from my standpoint when you're talking about paper so these bulls are always parchment okay so it's They're a lot more sturdy even if it's 800 900 years old it's a lot more sturdy but uh um, definitely some uh some conservators will say you don't need gloves for that but i still use gloves for the most part when i'm when i'm handling my things mm -hmm. interesting yeah you um you mentioning acquiring new new items, kind of it's just a curiosity for me. I don't. I would imagine it is for somebody else too. But how many of the the things that you have collected have been purchased versus donated versus bequeathed to Father Rich because he will take good care of this after I die type of thing? Like, I mean, what's the maybe the breakdown for um, for how you normally collect these things? If that's alright to ask. I'd say uh, I'd say probably um, purchased. I'd probably say ninety five percent and uh, five percent donated. Okay. I'd probably say ninety six percent purchased. Wow. Okay. And 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 I I do this strictly on a pre salary. You know, I mean, my bread and butter actually is that I know what I'm looking for, and the person that's selling it doesn't often know what they have. Hmm. And so it's like I I've got more knowledge about people artifacts than almost anybody out there and uh as a result of that and it's there's not any deception going on i just i see what's on an auction and the auction might describe it in a way that is not accurate and so mm -hmm. i can see i can see what's at auction and say oh, i cannot believe what that is and they don't know exactly what that is and so my knowledge helps me acquire things often at prices that are very low i've seen this i've seen this whole collection is it's a god thing to me because it's like this collection is bigger than me, and uh, I often ask myself, why are these things in Duluth, Minnesota? How do they find their way in my possession? So it's bigger than me. And so when I think of the collection as a whole, I recognize that it can't be dissipated when I leave. When I, when I leave the stage, this collection still has to remain a collection. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, it definitely does. So, you know, obviously you're... Uh... It's like a pretty healthy guy. You're still in your fifties, I think, right? So I mean, you know, it'll be it'll be hopefully quite a while yet, God willing, that uh, we'll have to, you know, we, before they have to worry about what to do with Father Rich's collection. <laughs> but I mean, I what's the what's yeah? What's the ultimate goal to find a a museum who will perpetually have this kind of stuff on display, cycle it out, that type of that type of thing, or the ultimate goal is to have it permanently displayed in Duluth, Minnesota. And I, I'd like to have a, uh, I'd like to have a, a, a museum in Duluth, or even not so a museum, but something where it's housed, where it can be a rotating type of display. Most museums you go to will have about five percent of what they own on display, and so we could easily do that with the collection, where I can like uh, do five percent, and it'll keep people's interest that keep coming back, and mm -hmm. just change it up over and over again. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Um... 
that's yeah. Oh, this is just so fascinating because it's it's a whole nother realm. Like when I, you know, when I'm preparing for a podcast episode, I'll find like I found uh, I don't have the volume with me handy, but I found like a, a book that was out of print, like the only English language translation that I could find of this contemporary biography of St. Leo the Ninth, who predated cool. Gregory the Seventh, who, you know, him and Peter Damien did the whole yeah. big reform of monasticism, all that type of stuff. But this is unbelievable treasure trove document of, I mean, you know, who knows how much of it is true, but it's somebody right. who was writing, who was in his court apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll find this I'm like, who the heck else knows about this? Right. But I mean, right. what you're talking about is all of these actual tangible things that oh. it's kind of the same thing. Who the heck else knows about this? But at least, you know, there's, there's just a, yeah, I, that would be amazing to, to be able to say, here's all the stuff from a thousand years ago as Americans. Right. I mean, like I kind of take even I take it for granted a little bit, but four times the length that of the U.S. being a country. That's how old this thing is. Right. And so when I when I have something in my collection, I'll show something that, you know, a, a document from a pope in the 1700s. It blows them away. And I'll say, this is new. This is new. <laughs> right. You know, let me show you the older box over here and, and it'll, it'll blow them away. And so, yeah, yeah the, the thing is, for me, it's like something about the person of the pope. In your pope cast, you talk a lot about the history and the politics that is going on. And that stuff is great. And that when it comes to like papal artifacts, having something associated with a historical event is always the best. Mm-hmm. But those are harder to find. And so what I really go for is things that connect with the person of the Pope. So it's like, you know, I got St. Pius X's razor. And it's like, what? it's like one of my favorite things because it's like, this guy shaved with this thing. You know, it's like, you, you see the human side of it. You know, I've, I've got several papal shoes, but there's something about the guy's razor. You know, it's just like people, show, they see that. It's like, I just can't believe it. So you, you have this tangible connection where you really connect with these personalities. I always used to think when I first collected autographs, I, I used to I'd collect some old time presidents as well. And I always had in my mind, it's like when they wrote that signature, when you have their autograph, it's like you have two seconds of their life. Mm-hmm. It's like you have an ownership of how much time of this historical person it took them to sign their name. And so I always felt autographs were kind of like, you own a little part of them, you know, and to, of this historical figure. And then when it's the Vicar of Christ, you know, it's like Christ's special representative on earth, that amped it up. You know, that made it <laughs> hyper excited, no matter who the Vicar of Christ was. Mm-hmm. Man, yeah, just, yeah, unendingly fascinating. So, I mean, if this episode alone should just be a video episode, just to see like how much I'm oh. grinning, grinning like an idiot over here. Oh. Hearing about all this stuff. Um, no, that's fascinating. So uh, in a similar vein. So, of course, understanding that much of Catholic tradition around relics and things like that, you know, understood by the secular world is pretty bizarre on the whole. But um, what I mean, Pius XI or Pius X's razor is probably up there for one of the just the more unusual, but still really cool things. But what would you say are some of the more just bizarre, unusual items in your collection aside from that, too? That's a good question. I'd say, you know, and just to, to address something you said just a second before that, it's like the whole idea of relics is really not so bizarre. If you go to go on eBay and type up, a, I don't know, I don't know how to type it, but you can find on eBay like baseball cards and hockey cards. A lot of them sell little bits of their, and the card is a little <laughs> bit of their. <laughs> That's true. So, so when I'm talking about relics, I always bring up my Kirby Puckett card and say, it's like, if you think we Catholics are weird, look at this. I got a Kirby Puckett card with some of his jersey on it, you know, and so. 
So yeah. it is kind of mainstream, you know, but anyhow, I digress. As you I never say, thought, I yeah, I never thought of it that way. Of course, it's like uh, Justin Bieber's gum that he spit out at his last concert. Exactly. Like, why the exactly. hell would you want that? It, it is bizarre, you know, but especially that. Kirby Puck is part of his jersey. I can appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's something. We're tangible. Humans are tangible. And so, you know, even the French back in the last century, the French always cut off dead people's hair and they made little decorations with it. And so it's like, <laughs> so it's like, it's not just a religious thing. But anyhow, as far as like well, some of the most... Uh, bizarre things boy that's a good question i've got a lot of bizarre things in the collection you know just like letter openers of different popes that i suppose that razor is one thing i had i had the opportunity at one time i didn't do it though it's like where pius x he had he had eyelid washer that he used to wash his eyelids off and it's like i passed on that i thought that was a little bit even too bizarre for my collection but stuff like that is out there now we know how he looks so youthful until you know 78 Well, speaking of Pius X, so he had really bad circulation. So if you see pictures of him, he has really puffy hands mm-hmm. because of his bad circulation. So he also had very bad puffy feet. And so when he became a pope, his sisters, his biological sisters, moved to Rome with him. They kind of moved in and cared for him. And so I've got a slipper, just one, that his sisters knit for him so that he didn't have to walk around with these uncomfortable shoes, papal mm-hmm. shoes, because of his big puffy feet. So it's actually a slipper, like just nothing but cloth, made by his biological sisters so he could wear it on his big puffy feet. So maybe that's one of the more weird things. Yeah, that's good. I Yeah, I mean, I love hearing about stuff like that for the same reason that, I don't know, that I love just learning about all of the old popes. Because, you know, when, it, when it's all so foreign and people just think, oh, well, yeah, th- there's Pope Francis and then there was Benedict for him and John Paul. But then before that, who knows? Who cares? Yeah, uh, right. You just like you just forget that they were all men that they're yeah. all yes even the saints were the ones who like who still shaved every day who still put their pants on just to just like you and me who you know sinned but somehow you know found a way to go beyond it i like i yeah i love all that stuff i think i actually heard i don't think it was on your website but it was someplace else like john paul ii left his toothbrush someplace on a trip and then somebody found it and said I have the Pope's, yeah. to- I have the Pope's <laughs> toothbrush. <laughs> Actually, you, you may have gotten that on my website, but it wasn't his toothbrush. It was his hiking stick. Oh, well, maybe that was another one. I'm pr- I'm almost positive it was his, his toothbrush just because how unusual and funny I remember it was. But the hiking wow. stick, I wouldn't be surprised too. Yeah. So I, I've got his hiking stick for the very exact same thing. So I got one of his hiking sticks because he left it at the nunciature where he stayed. And the nuncio knew this guy in Austria who did this stuff like I do, but not in the same way. But anyhow, it got to me. So... <laughs> Uh, so I, I, I do that. You know, interesting. You're talking about the human side. I had the uh, I had the incredible honor to meet John Paul II on seven separate occasions. Wow! And w- one of them was uh, just to see the human side of the man. So it's like if you remember, John Paul used to, you know, his Parkinson's made his face kind of freeze. You know, he could no give no facial uh, expression, and so later on in his life, he drooled a lot. But the cameras wouldn't show that. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's on TV, they would kind of pull away from that. But he always, in the last couple of years, he always had a handkerchief in his hand so he could kind of mop up the drool that was coming out of his, his, his mouth. And, and it wasn't the last time, but maybe the second to the last time that I was able to meet him, where it was after a private mass and he came out into his office and where he greeted each person individually. We all kind of lined up and he'd walk down and he'd line each up to meet and greet us. And he was really drooling really bad at that point. And just, just the human side of him, so Jivitz, came up right when he came right in front of me, John Paul. Jivitz noticed how much he was drooling. And so 
Jivitz came and took the handkerchief to, 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 to basically daub his chin. You know what John Paul did? He slapped his hand away. Hmm. And I thought, and I was, I was shocked at first because, you know, I idealized the man, John Paul II. But then to see that little window of humanity, it's like, yeah, you know, he just didn't want to get it stopped up at that point. So, Jivitz, leave me alone type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I just love to see that real human side of him. And that really connects to what I do as a passion in connecting with these things that are connected directly to the humanness of the popes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love that reflection. So was he always, was he pretty old all of the times that you had met him? Or was yeah, he... so I was ordained a priest that's in 98. Right. I didn't meet him until I was after. Oh, that's ordained. right. Yeah, seven years before he died. Yeah. Hmm. But, I, but I did meet him. I met him within 36 hours of being ordained a priest. Wow. Within 36 hours of being, and I had, I wasn't planning on it. I was hoping on it, but I wasn't planning on it. In Rome? So I was ordained in Duluth, but I met him in Rome okay. within 36 hours of being ordained a priest. Wow. That's quick right turnaround, too, to come back from Rome. Yeah, right after my first Mass, I flew off to Rome. Oh, after soon, you were ordained. Okay. Wow. So as soon as, we, as soon as we landed, where we went to stay, uh, it said, go down to the bronze doors immediately for a private audience with the Holy Father, because it was our Bishop's Ad Limina visit at that time. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was able to meet John Paul within uh, 36 hours of being ordained a priest, which is quite amazing. Yeah. that's has been all downhill since then. Right. Well, speaking of that, um, I know you said this, so I, I told a story on, oh, it was the John Paul episode of the bishop who met him, or who he, who met for an Alderman of Visits that I met you before, and he's like, no, you haven't. So that turns out that was your bishop, right? Bishop Brown? Yep. yep. In fact, it happened. The story, even, uh, who is it? Who is it? Everett that wrote that in his book, I think. Yeah, Jason Everett, yep. Yeah. yeah, and so even he got that story a little wrong. And so... What had happened is that the, uh, at least from Bishop Brahms telling me, the bishop who we're talking about, is that it happened over a course of two odd limit of visits. So after the first odd limit of visit, I think it was in 1983 uh, for Brahm, is that uh, the Holy Father said, I recognize you, I remember you. And Bishop Brahms said, no, I certainly would know you if I had met you before. And then uh, five years later, it, brought, it was brought up again in 19, I think it was 89 at that point, the odd limit of visit. And, uh, and uh, Brahm said, uh, no, it was 88. And so Brahm, the Holy Father said again, we've met before. And Bishop Brahm said, no, other than the unlimited, it was five years ago. And then after the fact is when Jivitz reached out to Brahm and said, no, His Holiness does remember you. It was on the, the doorway of the Jesu. I was uh, at, there for the Second Vatican Council. And you were there with a couple of other seminarians who were praying to get ready for your diaconate ordination. Oh, but he knew even that much information. So John Paul remembered the conversation that those there was like three guys, seminarians, praying at the Jesu, preparing for their diaconate ordination. So they told this young bishop from Poland uh, that that's what they were there for. And, uh, and Bishop Brahm told me afterwards, uh, um, he said, and we were wondering to ourselves, what's the big deal about this Polish bishop and why he wants to know this information about us? <laughs> And so uh, that's when it was. And so, so uh, John Paul II said, this is when it was. And, and Brahm said, it all came clear as day. I remember the interaction like it was yesterday. And so when Brahm said that to me originally, that was long before Everett's book, I said to Bishop Brahm, I said, do you realize you made a greater impression on the future Pope than he did on you? you know, because 
He remembered him. You didn't. Holy cow. And the, the amount of people that he meets that he just, yeah, just files it all away. That's crazy. And to remember those details, to remember those details from 25 years prior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah, goals, I think, is, is what the... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, I was going to say, yeah, it was 1962 was when that happened, yeah. I think, right? Yeah. Man, that, yeah, that's fascinating. Hmm. Well, I know we've been going for a little bit. I have one other question. So when I was... Obviously, I, yeah, I had, I had known about Papal Artifacts for a long time. Um, after we connected and I was kind of like looking up um, some additional, you know, background info just to see because I never really dug deep. I found out that you uh, appeared on the show Pawn Stars, yeah. the popular pawn shop show. Um, yeah, stage Vegas. It's on. Uh, oh, In gosh. Vegas. It's on history. Yeah. yeah. History Channel. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, yeah, you talk about that experience. I know you're kind of. Uh, um, uh, Oh gosh, an expert to the expert, sort of on, on matters of, of Catholic Church stuff. But then you yeah. actually were appearing on, appeared on the show a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. So for those of uh, listeners of uh, uh, Popecast that ha are familiar with the TV show Pawn Stars and might like it, you know, I love the the TV show. Is that the the number one used expert on that TV show is a guy by the name of Mark Hal Patton. He is uh, more probably famously known as the Beard of Knowledge. And so he looks like a Quaker. He's always wearing the big red shirt. He's got the straw hat. He's got the big long white beard. Okay. And so if if you if that image uh, is anything to your listeners, so uh, probably about twelve years ago now, he contacted me. This was before I had a website because some papal shoes came in supposedly from Pope Leo the Thirteenth, mm -hmm. and uh, he just wanted some background on the background type of thing to support his take on things, and he found me on the internet by searching even though I didn't have a website at the time because a lot of media attention has been, you know, to the collection over time. And, and so he called me and at that point I hadn't heard of the TV. I had heard of it, but I didn't know anything about it. And so um, uh, we talked and uh, that's kind of how it all, all started. And so for about 12 years now, he and I have gone back and forth in regards to uh, anything that might show up in the show that has anything to do with Catholicism. And I'll say, you know, this is what, this is what this is. And he'll say something like, Oh, that's a good line. I should use that, you know, and, and so uh, he actually had said to me at one point, he said, Father, he said, you, you know, you've helped me out over the years. Why don't you come on the show? You know, you just need, need, need to go on the show. And so, uh, they, so they, uh, they, I've been on it twice, and I brought things from the collection to, to sell and things that were duplicates, not relics, obviously. And, uh, and um, uh, so it, it worked out. And so it's, it's very interesting because I come on the show as the expert to the expert, and I have to pretend that I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. You know? <laughs> so, so I actually had to arrange for one of the shows. I arranged another expert, quote unquote, to verify what I was saying, even though I told that expert what to say. And so, it's so strange how TV production works. It's like, well, yeah, it's off, off of yeah, the, it's, yeah. But that's still but, that's that's still amazing. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I do love watching that show. It's one of those guilty guilty pleasure shows where if you're at your parents' house on the couch and it's on and it's always yeah. like 17 episodes in a row. You're like, where yeah, I, did that half a day go? This is why I say, Matt, you and I are brothers from a different <laughs> mother. I'm the exact same way. I, I sit there and I watch it all day long when I've got the day off or something, which right. rarely happens. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, um, thank you. Yeah. I know you have, you have to head out here shortly. Um, so thank you again. So for everybody listening, who's not a patron, check out papalartifacts.com to check out all the stuff about Father Rich. Um, but for those of you who are patrons, stick around, because we always have, uh, when we do interviews, we always save a question or two for a guest. And so 
if you'd like to go and hurry over and get the extra bonus content, you can you can do so now. Patreon.com slash the podcast. Yeah, where can people find you? I, obviously, we have the website, but is there anything you'd like to... If you reach out to me, uh, you, you'll, I'll, I'll respond. You know, I mean, there's a way of reaching out to me through the website. Uh, I don't always get to it right away. Uh, but then, uh, so in August of uh, in 2022 here this year, in Duluth, Minnesota, we're going to be having a major display of the collection. Not the whole collection, but a big chunk of it, most of it. Uh, and it'll be a big event. It's open to the public. Mark Halpatton from Pawn Stars is going to be one of the speakers. Whoa, we're trying to get, all right. Yeah, we're trying to get Cardinal Burke, trying to get Cardinal Harvey. That, uh, that didn't work out. We're still working on Cardinal Burke. He agreed to it the first time we were going to have it. We we're going to have it in 2019, but then COVID came. And he got really sick, and so now he's not wanting to do it. Mm-hmm. But we're still working on him, so hopefully Cardinal Burke will be added as well. But uh, it'll be a major event, and uh, uh, it's a fundraiser for our Catholic school as well as a maternity home in Duluth, Minnesota. But it'll be really your only opportunity for the foreseeable future to see any of the collection in person. And so it'll it'll be a great opportunity. That's amazing. So that'll be, yeah, and so more information about that will be on the website, peopleartifacts.com, in the coming weeks. All right. Perfect. Well, Father Rich, thank you again for being a guest on the show. I hope this is hardly the last time that you're a guest on the show because there's, there's probably lots more that we can always... There's, there's a lot we can talk about. And, yeah. and I want you to come to Duluth sometime. I'll give you a free full tour. Hey, all right. Yeah, I'll take you up on that someday. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Father. All right. Well, that does it with uh, one of my favorite episodes that I've done in a long time. I hope you really enjoyed it uh, again. Really would love to have Father Rich back on the show so you can count on it uh, at some point. Who knows? Maybe when John Paul gets beatified, like I said. Uh, yeah, who knows? There's there's all sorts of, of stuff to pull in the depths. But either way, um, as fans of Papal History, hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, on that note, again, a thank you to all of our, our patrons who support the show, most especially to our, our newest patrons. Father Rich actually ended up signing up after we got done with our interview. I did not solicit him for that, so uh, really appreciate Father Rich uh, supporting the show in more ways than one. Also, Daniel, our most, uh, our most recent patron, so the Popecast will always be free to listen to, of course, but through your uh, through your patronage, it helps us to cover the various costs that come with producing a show like this. So if you'd like to join the community, help ensure that the Popecast is around long into the future, you can go to patreon.com slash the Popecast. Uh, and then, of course, lastly, if you'd uh, leave, a, a, leave us a rating and a review on uh, iTunes, you can leave a rating now on Spotify as well. That just helps other people to find the show who like this type of uh, this type of content. So leave a rating and a review. And if you do leave a review, whether it's positive or negative, hope it's positive. We'll be sure to read it out on the show either way. But uh, again, thank you to listeners new and old. And as we head out today, let's give thanks for all of the great figures of papal history. Uh, let us give thanks that they were normal men who, uh, who sinned just like you and me, but who were called to greatness and at least in most cases lived up to the challenge. And at any rate, remember, these are strange times that we live in, but they are no stranger than in ages past. Until next time.